Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Central Seminary Podcast. Today we have Dr. Preston Mays with us. He's one of the professors here at Central Seminary. Dr. Mays, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How long have you been at Central? What's some of your history with teaching? Well, I've been at Central. This is my second year. Um, so I came, moved here right during the middle of the coronavirus lockdowns, which made mm. moving a very interesting experience. And that plays into our topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've been here two years, and um, previously I was a professor at Maranatha Baptist University for 22 uh, years. Okay, great. Uh, before we talk to the topic at hand, are there any books that you're reading or any books that you're waiting for them to be published so that you can read them? You know, I always have a lengthy reading list, but right now most of my reading is involved with a writing project I'm just about to start working on. Mm. Um, a book on Bible wines and alcohol, um, which I know sounds like a topic maybe that's been written on a lot, but I think it's warranted. Um, you know, there's been a lot of advances in, in medical research, but I've become somewhat aware of medical studies and so forth. So I think there's a, a fresh look at this topic is warranted. For example, I mean, we all have probably heard the advice from a doctor that, well, you know, it's good to take a drink or two a day. Mm. Um, for your health. Also, the doctor tells you that. It must be good advice, and you wonder. Although recently, due to advances in the ability to just do statistical research and just advances in the technology, um, that really wasn't true advice. Um, Mm. That's enough to statistically correlate with increased incidence of cancer and other physiological problems. So that advice is really bad advice. When you think about it, alcohol is a toxic carcinogen, Mm. which is a fancy way of saying a mild poison. (laughs) So there's, there's a lot of that that I'm trying to bring into the discussion as well as discussions of ancient culture and just, you know, raising the questions, what are they drinking? Yeah. When are they drinking it? On what basis are they drinking it? So a lot of those questions I think should be revisited because there's a lot of confusion out there. So, okay. Well, I, I've always heard an apple a day. <laughs> I didn't hear a drink a day. Well, I've had a doctor tell me that. So, wow. so we uh, we look forward to the finishing of your book, which I don't think has started yet. But once it's done, it's, we'll have you on here to share your book. A lot of research has been done. Okay. The next thing is just start writing. All right. Great. Well, our topic for today is getting connected in a church or feeling isolated within a church community, or how to integrate new attenders, or how to integrate yourself as a new attender or member at a church. And uh, before we have you share some of your personal experience with this, why don't you share with us some priorities that we should look for when you're seeking a new church? Should I choose a church just because it's friendly, 
uh, just because it has the style that we like or are there are other things that should take priority? What are your thoughts on that? Well, for my way of thinking, obviously, you would look at the doctrine of the church first and foremost. Um, most people, I think, would check a website at this point, and most churches will have a website with a doctrinal statement. Beyond that, though, I think you'd want to actually visit the church and see how is it doing ministry, what kind of things is it actually doing, how are they implementing their doctrinal statement. Mm. Uh, it's very hard to, to gauge that without visiting the church. Beyond that, I would think just then you would look for some, some more subjective elements. Do I feel like I'm a good fit at this church? And that works both ways. Um, should I be at this church to minister to it? And should they be ministering to me? We really should look at that equation you know, from both sides of it. And that can be a difficult thing to ascertain. It might take a little time, but a visit is almost a necessity. Yeah. Um, I actually had one, one man in the previous church I was in who said, when he was looking for a church, you know, obviously he wanted a good doctrinal church. He knew the Lord already, had some level of spiritual maturity. But his comment was, you know, I can get good preaching anywhere on the internet now. Mm. And he expected good preaching where he went. But for him, do I fit into this body well? Can I minister here? Do I fit with the people? Um, mm. So I thought, man, that's really an interesting way to, to, to look at it. So, um, yeah. So I look, you know, I would look for both of those things and just, you know, some sort of sense of the leadership is the pastor have a clear vision for the church. Where does he want it to go? Mm. What does he want the people? What is he trying to get the church to accomplish? Yes. Right. And I, I think I would echo what you said about doctrine and, you know, maybe, me being a former pastor and you mm -hmm. being a seminary professor, we might look a little uh, a little closer at doctrine than the mm -hmm. average church member, but obviously that's important. One thing that I'm always interested in is the direction that the pastor is trying to lead the church. And I'm not as concerned about the church being where I want it necessarily or, or being where I think it ought to be uh, as I am do they have a pastor who's leading in a mm -hmm. good direction? Uh, because I think there's a lot to be said for good leadership. And does the pastor have the buy-in of the people? Are they following their shepherd? Or is there uh, trouble in the ranks? I think those are important things. Yeah, and, and to me, that was that's almost a given, probably why I didn't mention it much, because I knew quite a bit about the church that I ended up joining here, Fourth mm -hmm. Baptist Church. And I knew I was going to agree with all that, um, I, I, I was familiar with the church. It was a known commodity to me. So I probably would have looked at that a little differently if I were just moving into an area where I didn't know anything about any of the churches. Right. And, um, and that's true. Often you do have to kind of look at the church's trajectory and see where the pastor wants to lead it. And maybe you're the person that can come and be helpful in that regard. In that sense, you would be a good fit for that church. So, yeah, yes, and, good point. and we know there's no perfect church. So, no, of course not. Uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about some of your past experiences as you and I have talked in preparation for this episode uh, in relation to getting connected in a church, some of your experiences in the past, and then moving to Minnesota? Mm -hmm. Share us, uh, share with us how that looked for you and your family. Yeah. Well, the last several churches that I was a member of, um, I, again, I knew quite a bit about the direction, and I did like where they were going. 
and I, you know, the pastoral leadership was good in either case. So either one would have been acceptable as far as I could tell. Um, and the thing was in those last situations, teaching at a Baptist Bible college at the time, university now, I worked with a lot of the people that I was going to church with. Mm. So it was very easy to establish connections and it didn't take much time at all to do so when I was spending so much time. If I ate a meal in the dining hall, it was tending, it tended to be with those people. Um, mm. a break time tended to be with those people. I had people down the hall from me that I was going to church with. Yeah. Um, that's not going to be an, that's not going to be the situation that most people have when they're looking for a new mm. church. And, um, I've talked to other people who moved out of that church environment and other church environments, and they found the same thing to be true. It just took a lot longer time for them to feel like they were really a part of it. Um, just because there is no substitute for time mm. in, in those instances. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I can relate to, to some of that, even in my more recent experience with transitioning from pastoral ministry to uh, being here at the seminary mm -hmm. and being a lay member in the church, uh, some of what we're going to talk about is things that I have are things that I've experienced mm -hmm. even recently. So I'm excited to get your thoughts on those. What are some factors that make it easier or more difficult to connect with the church? Yeah, well, obviously, as Christians, you would like to think we all have the most important things in common. We all know the Lord. We all all have that shared identity as believers mm. and we're all going to be placed in a body of believers somewhere as God leads us. And that means we'll be different from everybody else. Yes. But that should facilitate our joining a church where what we're doing will be needed. Um, so that's the most important thing. Having said that, of course, the stage of life that you're at, the culture of the church, um, Again, I'm not sure how much those should be issues. I, I feel that there probably should be less of an issue than they often are. Mm -hmm. You would like to think, for example, if you're joining a church where maybe there aren't a lot of young people, well, we've got to start somewhere, and somebody's got to be the first yes. young person, young couple that joins the church and maybe then becomes the focal point for more people joining that church. Um, and in that case, I think you have to be in it for the long haul um, until we can get enough people to join the church. Remember years ago, somebody coming to preach at, at the college again, just making the plea to some of the upcoming Bible college graduates, you know, when you get out there, consider joining a really small church. Mm. One that you know doesn't offer you maybe a lot, but when you think about it, if you if you have studied the Bible in any formal setting, you probably have a lot to offer to that church. Yeah, and you can be a great blessing, and you know right away you're going to be needed. Yeah, you're going to be needed. So I just thought, read an article about that just yesterday that mm -hmm. I thought about posting on our seminary social media. I didn't, but uh, that same thing: why you should consider small churches. Yes, and it's really a small group of people that. We all operate within a small group of people, don't we? There's there's time limits, and you can only know so many people well. It's nice to go to a big church that has a lot of opportunities and provides a lot of 
you know, ministries. Um, and I can see the attraction of that. And of course I go to a church now that has a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say, you know, that, that just making an arbitrary choice to join a small church is something you should do. But I think everybody should at least consider it and maybe more should be joining those than actually do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go ahead and post that article. It's a good idea. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think there's a pool to, uh, go to a church where there's a lot of people who are like me, a lot of people in my age group. And uh, I was, I had a situation in ministry where there weren't a lot of young people. In fact, I was, me and my family, we were the young, the young families of the church. And Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, I could understand when we would have people leave to go to other churches because they have more young people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, uh, the New Testament emphasizes that the most things that we have in common aren't our age or our stage in life. It emphasizes unity amongst diverse people. And so it's important to understand that uh, we don't have to have everyone to be like us. Mm-hmm. And in our, our stage and our environment in life, mm-hmm. we can learn from other people. Mm-hmm. And need to, actually. Yeah. Those who have gone before, so... Yeah, and so I find it interesting you talked about like stage in life, stage in family. So when you guys moved to Fourth Baptist Church, it probably wasn't as much of a priority for you to have have a church that had a good nursery ministry because your family's older. I, we became empty nesters. <laughs> we did an odd thing. You know, your kids are supposed to grow up and they all move away. Our kids grew up. They settled down the area, and we moved away. <laughs> it's a kind of crazy thing, but the Lord led, and it's clear that I'm that we are where we need to be right now. Um, Why don't you share with our listeners what we've talked about that you've read and heard about some of the projections for how long it takes to really feel at home in a church and maybe how that should affect how churches mm-hmm. view new people. Yeah, Being at home in a church could could kind of describe two different things. Okay. It could describe, I think, being comfortable with the church's ministry and its direction and liking the, the way that it's going. Mm-hmm. And that would be one element of that. I think it might be kind of hard to feel comfortable in a church, even if you like the people well, if it's just not going in the direction you think it should be going, mm, yeah. uh, if, if it's got some doctrinal problems in it. Having said that, um, I think the other part of the equation, the personal connections we establish, is a very important part of it. Um, I, and that's really more a matter of the friendships I think we make with mm. other people. And that just does take time. I, yeah. I was reading a, some studies, a recent book came out uh, on friendship, and I think it was a sociological study. And, you know, sometimes these things are are of questionable value, but this does seem to reflect our experience that if you want to move from somebody some to being just from being just an acquaintance of somebody to actually being considered a friend, you know how many hours that takes mm. of contact with them? Forty to sixty. Wow. If you want to move that up to um, more of a a friend beyond a casual friendship, now we're looking at eighty to a hundred. Wow. And if you want to be rated as a best friend, you're probably going to have to spend about 200 hours with that person. Mm. 
Now, I don't think anybody or everyone, I'm sorry, I don't think everyone who spends that much time with another person is going to end up becoming best friends or good friends even. You know, you think about certain people you might work with, they're just not on good terms with each other. Mm. They've probably spent a lot of time with each other. If you're working with somebody, <laughs> it's not hard to get to that 200 hours yeah. level. And maybe when you get to that level, if you don't like the person, you're ready to be done. You don't want to be around that person. But if we're talking about you know, a friend, that's what it would take. And so to me, that's the biggest challenge. Again, especially coming here where there's just not going to be as many opportunities for that. And it's not really that there's anybody to blame about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are busy. They have jobs, they have families, they have things of that nature. Um, but again, if you're in it for the long haul, I think that that does happen. Yeah, I think it's easy for those who maybe have been at a church for a while mm-hmm. to um, cast their experience on everyone else. So I feel right. comfortable, I feel plugged mm-hmm. in, I feel connected, or even look at someone and say, well, they've been here six months, they've been here a year, you know, they're integrating nicely and not realize that maybe they haven't built some of those yeah. relationships, they haven't been here long enough to have that, and it mm-hmm. really does take time. And here... The other thing that is an interesting element in this, though I don't know many people, I did know some. Okay. Um, We'd had them as students. (laughs) My wife was also a teacher. And so there are some familiar faces around here, and that's been nice. But those are still more limited connections. Um, So we really are looking to maybe build some more connections with people more our own age. These people were students, so they tend to be quite a bit younger, at least 10 years, or in some cases, more like 15 or 20 years. It's nice to know them. Glad to have those connections. It helps me feel a little bit connected here. But again, if I weren't moving into this particular church situation, I wouldn't have had any of that. So I think a lot of people feel very comfortable in unfamiliar social settings. So, you know, I think we just have to be sensitive to that and try to make them feel comfortable as much as we can, realizing that it's going to take some time mm. uh, to do so. Yep, very much so. Can you give us some practical suggestions for reaching out to new people uh, as a church or as church members or even as, as pastors for those who might be pastors or in leadership uh, listening? Are there some programs or ministries that you think are important for churches to have? Yes, I, I do think there are. I mean, I think most churches probably already have a greeter ministry. At the very least, they have the ushers walk the aisle and recognize the the visitors, give them a packet of information. That's a great first start. Um, And some people will read it. I'm guessing some people won't read it. (laughs) And you'll find it in the trash later. It depends on the person. Right. Um, I I would say beyond that, though, the first steps are to help people develop some skills in introducing themselves, starting conversations. I know sometimes we don't like small talk, you know, talking about the weather, talking about around here the Vikings or the Twins or whatever, you know, the team happens to be when you're playing. Mm -hmm. But the truth is those are conversation starters, and they at least get the ball rolling of the conversation without, you know, jumping right into some heavy topic that people might not be willing to talk with you about. Yeah, um, I, I know that you know most pastors. I think do a pretty good job of introducing themselves, and of course they should. Um, but as one 
one man mentioned once, he felt that when I go to a new church, I want to be greeted by people. Mm-hmm. And what the pastor does doesn't count. <laughs> and that's true because isn't the pastor kind of expected to do that? And he's usually mm-hmm. a fairly personable individual, and he'll do that. Um, it's what everybody else starts to do, I think, that's pretty important. Yeah. So that those would be some good first steps. I think beyond that, um, you know, inviting them to more close-knit events um, would be a good thing. Um, obviously, if you've got their contact information, which most churches will try to get that, it becomes the first um, point of contact where the pastor can then drop them a note, say, hey, can, yeah. we, can we get together for lunch or for a cup of coffee or something um, someday? Those are all really good things. I, 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 I know of, of one pastor who does a lot of sermon prep at a coffee shop. Mm. I know that he has talked to a lot of people about the Lord because they're in the coffee shop yeah. and he loves coffee. So now if you don't like coffee, that's <laughs> fine. Find something, something else to do there. But really anything can work there. Now beyond those first steps, I think there are some other more ongoing steps that you'd want to take. And you know, there's not an absolute order here in these. I mean, one of the things you'd want to do, I think is try to understand where people are. You know, people are in different situations in life and regardless of what we feel about the concept of felt needs often people will have a sense of a need they i need something from this church i don't know that we should necessarily discourage that we should use it as a starting point to move them into the ministry Mm -hmm. but that can vary widely if you've got a relatively stable family with three or four small children they're going to have one set of concerns you know how do i raise these children Lord, help me. I, I don't know what to do to, to guide their spiritual development. And so you'd want to you know, meet them on that level and get them going. Again, keeping in mind that their own spiritual development, apart from whatever is happening in the family, is really the ultimate goal. Yeah. Um, and, of course, they won't minister to their family out of anything they don't already know about the Lord. And really, that, that ministry should be an, an overflow of their own relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. It should. But then you might have people come to you who are hurting desperately. They've lost a spouse, um, occasionally abuse victims. Mm. They might be more forthcoming right up front. I am hurting badly. I, I need some help. Yeah. Well, in that case, they're probably going to need somebody to come alongside them who has that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be empathetic and understanding of where they've been, but Sometimes those who have actually gone through those experiences, they have an understanding of just what grief feels like, what those experiences feel like, and what they say automatically has is greater received. Um, so not actually as a pastor, we should educate ourselves on those things and try to know all those things. Yeah. But if you have somebody that you can connect them with, so, you know, if you, if you've got a connection, if you can facilitate connections with other church members that you'll know pretty well, um, that might be a good fit here. Um, in some cases, though, if they if they come, you might give them something to do. I mean, for me, I was a believer. I wanted something to do, and the church really did facilitate my getting involved here by suggesting several ministries I might be involved in. Of course, they knew me already. Yeah. Um, based on the fact that I go to. You know, 
you know, my pastor is also the president of <laughs> Central Seminary. So he knew something about me already and was able to point me in a direction. So those are all things that depend on the community you're in. Um, if you're in a farming community, you know, it's going to be a totally different level of connection than if you're in a, a you know, very middle-class kind of urban area like we are here or suburban area. Yeah. I was thinking, as you said about um, people connecting other people and uh, getting involved, I think it was Matt Morell who said, I, I don't know if it's original with him, uh, in, in a class, I think it was, that everyone wants to be known and needed. And I think there's yes. some value to that. There is some value to that. And that's probably become even more true in the 21st century than it was in early, you know, with earlier decades. Hmm. I mean, you might have demographically some older saints who maybe don't want to be recognized. Um, those generational differences, they are a real thing hmm. um, th that are something we have to manage in ministry now. Um, it's amazing how quickly the world changes. Yeah. Uh, a couple thoughts that came to my mind um, in regards to, you know, having your, your greeter team or whatever you call them, your visitor packet. Uh, I, I think it's important to create some sort of system or pipeline mm -hmm. for people who are coming in, maybe like their first time in the door, mm -hmm. to try to, uh, and I've heard of churches doing this, see, see how many people they can get to connect with these people before they sit down in the pew. Mm -hmm. Or chair, or whatever, whatever you have. Uh, so you have your greeter team at the door, and then maybe you say, "Oh, let me introduce you to Sally. Mm -hmm. She's working the welcome center today." Mm -hmm. And then Sally introduces, "Oh, here, here's Pete. Have you met Pete? Uh, just, just get really good at creating almost a flow of." Uh, getting people to meet one after another uh, of the people in the church. I think that that can be really helpful. Yeah, especially if a church has maybe kind of lost a little of that in the shakeup that happened as a result of COVID. Yeah. Churches had to operate in such a different manner for the last year or so that maybe sometimes some of those systems kind of f fell into disrepair and need to be mm -hmm. resurrected. But you're right, we need a pipeline. The person who walks in the door has no idea mm -hmm. where to go, what to do. They feel maybe kind of lost. So ideally, yeah, you'd have somebody that they know who's invited them to church. But mm -hmm. hopefully you'll get some that just come for whatever reason. In that, that case, yes, a pipeline, definitely. Yeah, and I know I've been at churches before as a visitor walking in the foyer and there's all this hustle and bustle and mm -hmm. you don't know where to go. And you wonder, yeah. where's the nursery and where's the kids' Sunday school mm -hmm. and which room do I go to? Uh, it's always helpful to have people who are specifically looking for those mm -hmm. type of people. Another thing I would say is uh, for church members or, or, or leadership who are trying to reach out to new people, be skilled in the art of introducing yourself and starting a conversation. Uh, sometimes you just have to have that awkward conversation of, hi, I don't think I've met you before. My mm -hmm. name is so-and-so. And I've I've had that situation as a pastor where where it backfired on me and yeah. come out come to find out I did meet them and I forgot and it was like years ago or something like that yeah. so it was excusable it. but I'm curious now I, I I've occasionally done that because I'm terrible remembering names mm. and there's so many new people new faces here new people here that I probably might I might not know if I've actually met you or just seen you from a distance yeah I get the sense that most people don't really feel bad about that they don't make a big issue 
if you've already met them mm. and you think you haven't. Yeah. Maybe there are some exceptions to that, but. Yeah, I think well, so because you're still being friendly. You're still being friendly. And honestly, it, anytime we interact with somebody, there's always a certain amount of risk that yeah. we're just going to have to be willing to accept. And usually the risk was well worth it and none of our fears were realized. Um, but it is a good thing for us to, to, to get over our own shyness and our own introversion and start to be a little more forthcoming mm. uh, with some of these things. Yep. And then just something that always stuck in my mind, Dr. Matt Williams, who was at Northland when I was there, he always used to say, walk slowly through the crowd. And that's something that stuck with me. I always told our church people that. Um, and what he meant by that is don't get so busy in the hustle and bustle of mm -hmm. church life that you don't take time to look around and see people and look look for those visitors or that person who might feel disconnected or that person who might be hurting and no one's ministering to them. Just just walk slowly through the crowd. Yeah, and see some... There are often people just kind of standing somewhere in the lobby. Maybe they would love to talk to somebody and they're just waiting for somebody to engage them a little bit. You never know. You might make a friend. Yeah. So are there some things that you and your wife have done to help you feel more connected? Um, like I said, we did get involved in some ministries pretty quickly. My wife got into the nursery, which obviously you meet a lot of the small children that way, mm -hmm. but you also meet a lot of mothers that yeah. way. Um, so that's been a good thing. For me, I've... Um, been in the choir now for more than a year so that's that's been a nice thing it's a more small it's a smaller circle but everybody in there is familiar and you know there are some people i will i walk in i will say hi how you doing and i mm -hmm. know i'm starting to learn a little bit about them i certainly know names a lot better than i used to yeah uh, there and i've also done some sunday school teaching which um i'm not sure how how much that's helping me get relationships. It certainly makes me better known by those who are listening to me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a, it's a, it's an involvement. Um, I, I, I had thought even about playing a little softball last last summer. Okay. The church has a softball league, and it just didn't work out. Some life situations with some family. Uh, well, I mean, we had a death in the family and mm -hmm. other things going on. It just didn't work. I did play a couple in a couple of, in a game or two, I think. And now that's a good opportunity. Anything you can um, do like that to help you feel more connected with people. And, of course, you know, going to fellowships after church, anything mm -hmm. like that. Has, yep. It's a start. You know, it's a limited contact, but it gets things started. And people are starting to feel more familiar. Um, so it, it's, it's coming. Yep. What are some things that we can do if we're the person who feels alone in the church. Do you have any thoughts for someone who's maybe just starting out? Maybe they moved, they had a job change, whatever the situation is, and they're trying to get connected in a church. Yeah. I would say, you know, obviously stay afterward long enough that you're going to meet people. Mm. Don't be afraid to just introduce yourself to somebody, especially if it's a bigger church. And I know most churches aren't, but in a bigger church, We've probably all had the experience of introducing ourselves to somebody and saying, hey, are you new here? And the person says, well, no, I've actually been a member here five years. <laughs> That's not an, a common occurrence, but it does happen. So stay long enough to meet people and just realize it does take time to get connected. Relationships take time. Mm. So there is a, a, a point at which 
the church, yes, needs to be doing everything it can to facilitate that, but the individual does have to take some ownership of getting connected, getting involved, and putting themselves in a position to be touched by others. Mm. And I think that's become a, a difficult thing in our culture where so much of our lives now are just lived out of our home. Mm. Yeah, And we don't, you know, the, the, a person's home almost tends to be their inviolable castle. <laughs> um, I can hear, I remember hearing stories of people who not, you know, within, well, before my lifetime, but, you know, talk discussions about people who would jump in the car Sunday afternoon and you go visit people. Mm. Well, that's something we don't generally do anymore because we're sitting at home doing whatever. Or I can remember an extreme story. My grandparents growing up in a small farming community, um, we're talking to my grandfather once about going to church and his comment was, you know, we just went because what else was there to do? Mm, yeah. At the time, he wasn't a believer. Now he became one, but it was the social hub. And obviously we're not going to bring back that version of the United States. Mm. It's just not going to happen. But there's probably ways we can try to connect with people based on some of these other things and help them become more integrated. And it's probably a good idea there not to push too hard. Some people do want a little bit of space. And yeah. you know they might just want to check out your church, they feel comfortable going there, but they're going to ease themselves into it. Kind of like the person who, you know, instead of jumping right into the pool, <laughs> sticks his big toe in the water yeah. for a little while to feel how the, and, and you know, he's thinking it's okay and he's going to get in there, but don't come up from behind and push him in. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So that that's a hard thing. It's subject, it's based on the person. But. Yeah be sensitive to those cues, get good at reading people. Right. But I would say most of them probably want to develop some relationships and have some connection and feel wanted. Wouldn't you say that's true with most people? I think so. Yeah. Yep. And I'd, I'd say if you want to learn more about how to uh, integrate that, we could call it the hospitality angle mm -hmm. of it, uh, podcast episode number three, was on the mm -hmm. topic of hospitality. Mm -hmm. And so you want to go check that one out. Well, this was a good discussion. Thank you, Dr. Mays. One question that I like to close our podcast with is just uh, ask if there's anything that you want to give praise to God for, any works of God that he's done in your life or your family's life that you just want to praise him for and give thanks for his, his uh, wonderful deeds. Yeah, I just want to thank the Lord for everything he's done in the move here. We were not moving across town. Uh, we were moving to a new state. Um, I had been to Minneapolis once, but only once. I'm sorry, twice. I flew through the airport once. That one doesn't <laughs> count. And you do that, especially during COVID, it raises a whole bunch of questions. Everything from the, you know, where do I even live here and do I rent or do I buy a house? Those are big decisions. All the way on down to, okay, we're unpacking in our home. Which drawer do we want to put the silverware in? Mm. And actually, we we moved it. It was the <laughs> wrong drawer. So, you know, it's, it's a myriad of decisions. Yeah. All the doctors and the hospital, you know, the, not the hospitals, some banks, all those things. I mean, where do we even shop? But the big one, of course, was the housing and um, in, in a very robust market, yeah, um, we put, you know, we had certain expectations, you know, things that we must 
have to have in a house. But we weren't going to be too picky. It just seems unwise to, to not be content with what the Lord provides. So we were looking at places, and my, our, our response was always, well, you know, this might work. And we put bids in on a number of places, and we got outbid. I mean, the last one was, it was crazy. We bid $20,000 over the asking price, and we mm. still got outbid. Wow. And one day, there were nine bids on this house. Wow. So, you know, it, it's, it's rattling, but you say, well, okay, Lord, we're moving on. It's not the one. That's fine. Well, the next day, something became available, and it was actually right down the road from something else we'd looked at. Um, it was bigger and less money mm. than I was willing to spend. So, and the Lord provided it. We, we, we made the bid, got the house, and just all the, the, the house hunting was... It, it was it was a little challenging, but I'm thankful we went through the process because we were becoming empty nesters. We had no idea what we even wanted. So even mm. the process of making us look for a while kind of crystallized in our minds things that we did want or or didn't want in a house. So I'm very thankful for his guidance in there. And so far, anyway, it seems like buying a house was the, the right uh, decision because the housing market has not collapsed and it has not <laughs> cooled down. But hey, you never know. The future is is uncertain at best, to be sure. So but yeah. I just thank him for everything, and that's the big thing, but there are many little things as well where the Lord has been with us through the whole thing. Just as we prayerfully sought him, got advice, and then eventually figured out what to do. Um, but it always started with prayer. And it's probably good for you to be confronted with your own limits as a human being and not be thinking, yeah, I know what I should do here, and just mm -hmm. make a decision. Those usually aren't good decisions. Yeah. And you just start with, okay, Lord, you know everything. Help me. Okay, well, thank you for sharing, Dr. Mays, and thank you for being with us today. Okay, thank you for having me. Next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. And so church history becomes a theological enterprise. There was a battle that was fought over that, uh, call it a category. We can't mythologize it. Whether it's Augustine or Spurgeon or, you know, whoever in between. History is to help you make sense of things. Church history is not just, hey, memorize these names and dates. Church history is unavoidable. I don't know if I would re-preach their sermons. Some of them could be a couple hours long. The, the assumption is you have this giant bucket on your head <laughs> and the teacher is throwing names and dates into your bucket. Is history just for history buffs? C.S. Lewis described it as a, a, a waterfall. You know, the problem is we all have holes in our bucket and it's leaking out everywhere. Every week I spoke from a, a history book that we call the Bible. Baptists have said, well, you can't force the rights of someone's conscience. Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders for Christ-exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. 
Find out more at our website, centralseminary.edu.